One, two, three. Oh, right. I'm supposed to count during this. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very complicated. Some people take to counting faster than others. In my head, I was singing Take On Me. <laughs> okay, do you just want to sing Take On Me together yeah, and that'll I'll, be your countdown? That's, Ready? That's okay. Take on me. Take me on. Okay, if you can sync that, then there you go. That's your that's maybe, your sync. Maybe we better count just in case. Just to be safe. To but be I'm pretty safe. sure that was spot on, but yeah, yeah. just to be safe. Yeah, we All nailed right. that. Stop it. Don't open that door. Oh, oh yeah, it's podcast time. I I wasn't playing a one-year-old game, Mario plus Rabbit's Kingdom Battle, instead of doing a podcast ah, at let's all. Go. <laughs> I think that was your Switch that was doing that, Scott. <laughs> Welcome to episode, God, what are we at? 25. Mm. We're a quarter of a century old, episode 25 of the Masters of Unlocking podcast. We are a different kind of video game podcast. One of us is an author, a YouTuber, and a game lover in the most sensual of ways, and the other is a collector and recovering game store owner, equally as sensual. I am Caleb J. Ross, at Caleb J. Ross on Twitter, and I'm the YouTuber, video game porker, and uh, author portion of those two. With me is VG Collectaholic, at, appropriately enough, VG Collectaholic on Twitter. He is the uh, recovering game store owner, um, sensual game store owner. I forgot that part. Mm. Sorry, I know that's part of your brand. I really got to put that in there. Ha ha ha. Like Barry White, he, baby. <laughs> we delve into the business, economics, and psychology of video games. That's kind of what makes us a different kind of podcast. Um, hopefully, uh, we're different. There might be others out there. I don't know. I don't think we really pay attention to other podcasts. Why do that when you have Masters of Unlocking? Today's episode, we're going to talk about uh, a lot of stuff, actually. Um, it's been, uh, either it's been a hefty news couple of weeks, or because we're recording this a bit late, uh, there's just been more time for news stories. Either way, there's a lot to talk about. We're going to be talking about the Google Video Game Console, talking more about that. We haven't talked about that in a previous episode, but there's some more uh, information about it, or at least more stuff to talk about. Uh, we are going to talk about a gamer uh, who died, and his wake was pretty crazy. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the Switch and its overabundance, I say overabundance, of indie titles. I guess I already uh, you forced out the lead there on my opinion on that topic. An Uncharted movie, possibly. Is that coming? I don't know. Well, a different Uncharted movie other than the so quote-unquote official one. ESPN, Disney signs an exclusive live Overwatch League broadcaster uh, deal. Or they sign uh, uh, an exclusive live Overwatch League broadcaster. I'll just read it, read it the way it says, Caleb. Uh, Nazis ruin video games. Uh, so it's not just life that they ruin. Who strikes again? The... Uh, World Health Organization is on first, apparently. This time with STDs, who's on first, get it? <laughs> There's lots of people laughing, <laughs> I promise. Shadow of War is less of a shadow of a real game now because it's micro-traction. Micro I'll just stick with it. Micro-traction free. Uh, I dough. really hate micro-tractions. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad the industry is railing against micro-tractions. I only want macro-tractions. Yes. My tractions have to be enormous. <laughs> Gigantic tractions. 8-bit. <laughs> um, I say 8-bit dough. What do you say, Scott? I say 8-bit dough as well. 
okay, we'll go with 8BitDo. 8BitDo, the company lets you build your own wireless controller, kind of, which sounds kind of cool. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Fallout New California's, plural? What? Stick around? And Gorilla Games gets bigger, which is good, because Gorilla Games I've recently fallen in love with with Horizon Zero Dawn. Whew, that's just the topics. We haven't actually talked about the stuff yet. That's inc- that's crazy. Yeah, pants. we're like eight minutes into this episode already. <laughs> if I if you wouldn't have played so much Mario plus Rabbids at the beginning, it would have <laughs> gone quicker. I almost said I dodged that one. Man. So well, let's talk about playlists because we always do. I, that's almost like that's a conscious transition, but it's really not. It's just we always talk about playlists. What have you been playing? Lately, Scott. Continuing the theme from the last several episodes now, I am finally on the verge of completing Pillars of Eternity, a fantastic computer-style role-playing game that I'm playing for PlayStation 4. Uh, I am at the verge of Endgame now, so I plan on completing it tonight after we finish this podcast record. I'm going to go back upstairs and destroy the Endgame and then move on to probably... Octopath Traveler, I think, is probably mm. next. You know, it's uh, mobile friendly, and uh, I've got a trip coming up that I think we'll probably talk about a little later on in this episode. Oh, I wonder where that is. Mm. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. What What about you? What have What have you been uh, playing, Mister Ross? I have still been playing Horizon Zero Dawn. I finished up the main game of that. Uh, I gushed and gushed and gushed about that in the last episode, so definitely go back and listen if you want to hear yet another person talk about how great that game is. Uh, Finished up the main game there. I am playing the DLC. And what's interesting is I'm generally not a DLC player. Um, For me, once the main story is over, it kind of, it takes, it's sort of a bit of a relief. Even if it's a game I love, it's a bit of a relief. And I kind of, and there's so many other games to play that I kind of want to move on. But I don't know if it's because the DLC is prepackaged with the game. It just made made the uh, friction a little bit less so I could jump right into it. But I am playing the DLC now, and it's really fun. Um, there's a few cool new mechanics in the DLC um, that uh, I'm glad weren't part of the main game, to be honest. But uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. Um, so I've been playing that. And then I also played about an hour of Typo Man, which was one of my last uh, limited run games purchases um, after I stopped buying every game. Um, so and it's actually really fun. Uh, I, my sons really love platformers, love uh Cool platformers, one of my sons, their favorite game is Hue, and that was actually just today released as a, or announced as a limited run games uh, release. So that'll be my next limited run games purchase, I think, is Hue. But that's his favorite game of all time, and so he really likes Typo Man as well, and it's somewhat of a learning game because there is some spelling to it, but it's more spelling and sort of the mechanics are, are involve spelling and word construction. It's not really teaching people much, but I can tell him that he's learning how to spell. And actually, he's really good at it, so he's helping me. I'm terrible at Scrabble terrible at boggle any of those games so he's actually a legitimate help during this game and it's a lot of fun um but then mostly other than that i've been playing a little uh magazine called a profound waste of time which i will um i'll talk a little bit about here but uh you'll have to keep me from gushing on and on about it because i could take up way too much time about with it um it's essentially a a magazine kind of a a, almost like a, a thick well-produced magazine, but thick as like a book kind of thing. So it'd be the equivalent of like a journal. If you're in the academic world or the literary world, there's there's things called literary journals. It'd be very similar to that, except about video games. I'll probably make a video on my channel about that, um, just talking about how much I love it. So I'll save all the praise for that. Uh, but man, it's, it's awesome. It's so, so, so cool. And I, I can't wait for, uh, I hope it succeeds and I hope they make plenty of more issues of it. Yeah, yeah. it comes out uh, from the UK, right? 
it does. And I had to pay dearly for that shipping, but it was worth it. So um, a lot of misspellings in the book, which is weird, you know, for, huh, it's weird. Like uh, they spell things weird over there in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> Weirdos. They use use when they don't need them. And... Yeah. Ugh, it's so weird. It's wasting so much ink. Um, Their Zs look like Ss. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I can let it pass. I mean, the ideas are okay, even if they can't spell. Um, what, uh, what have you been, uh, what have you picked up? See, I talked a little bit about, I guess I kind of jumped ahead and talked about a pickup that I made, but, uh, any pickups from your end? Uh, yeah, just a couple. I picked up Octopath Traveler, obviously, since that's going to be the next game that I dive into. I snagged the Wayfarers Collector's Edition because, you know, I'm, I've stopped buying Collector's Editions. <laughs> um, but this one is nice. It's not, it doesn't have a giant footprint. It's more compact. It's basically just the game and a map and a couple of other goodies. So, you know, not the gigantic figure and all of that stuff that, that nobody needs. Um, so I'm going to dive into that on the way to Chicago and, uh, get a, get a little bit of JRPG in my life after, you know, cause I didn't spend enough time in this 200 hour journey that has been pillars of eternity. So <laughs> I'll just dive into, you know, something bite-sized like a JRPG. <laughs> and then the, so going from something brand new that I got to something quite old that I got, I picked up a, one of the rarer titles for a console that I've been collecting as one of my 2018 collecting goals, the Intellivision. I picked up, Body Slam Super Pro Wrestling, which is one of the white box games that was last to be released for the Intellivision uh, back after it had turned to INTV Corp. And all of those white box games are quite scarce, hard to come by. This uh, this one's in gorgeous conditions, got complete with the manual and stickers in great shape on the cart. Uh, so pretty, pretty happy to get that. I got a pretty great deal on it. So... Uh, cross off one of the heavy hitters in my quest for completing the Intellivision set this year. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. How many more do you have? Uh, I have, so I, in order to get the set, I have probably 30 left, but then I also am going for the, the variants. So there are some games like a lot of the sports titles that had, that were originally released with some sort of licensing brand, like the PBA bowling which is the Professional Bowling Association Bowling, was released both as PBA Bowling, and then later they re-released it as just Bowling, presumably to save money on not having to license the name of the association any longer. And there's, I think, nine different games that were released like that, Bowling and Horse Racing and uh, Chess, oddly enough, for the United <laughs> Chess Federation or something. Um, and then there are, I think, about 30 games that were released as a standard Mattel in television game and then as a Sears uh, a Sears version, a Redbox version of the game that was branded with all of the, um, the Sears Roebuck branding. So I'm trying to get all of those. I think all in all, then, I have probably like 70 to go. How happy are you that uh, modern companies don't do the in-store branding stuff oh my god at least not normally yeah it's nice that that they're just few and far between when i was going for the wii u set i ran into some of that there's i think like three versions of one of the assassin's creeds because you have a gamestop cover you have a walmart cover and then you have the regular generic 
cross store cover. So it's nice that it's just very limited cases at this point. Nice. Nice. So you mentioned this trip that you that you're taking and uh some one of your other co-hosts may be taking it as well. Ooh. Um well we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh but I also picked up a goodie specifically for the trip and that is SteamWorld Dig 2. Um, I have played SteamWorld Dig 1 many times, played it through many times. I love, love, love that game. It's so much fun. Um, and so I've been wanting to get SteamWorld Dig 2 for quite a while. And finally, this was sort of the the impetus for me to finally do that. I like when I go on trips and when I go on vacations, what I like to do, this is another pro tip for everyone out there. So I've already given one pro tip, which is put a uh, on, on your cell phone, put make the wallpaper of your cell phone an image from the game that you are currently playing. So throughout the day, you can kind of look down and see it and be like, oh, I can't wait to get home and play that. Some people put their families on there so that they can look forward to seeing their families, whatever. You put your game on there. Look forward to that. Yeah. Um, Something you so can my, actually look forward to. Exactly. Not pretend to. Uh, the So my other pro tip is when you go on vacation, um, pick a game that you specifically are dedicating to play during that vacation and don't play it before and uh, at, at all. So you're playing it brand new when you're on vacation um, and play it during any of your downtime on vacation. So really sort of imbue your vacation with that game and then later on when you play it you'll actually kind of be reminded of the vacation and stuff and so i've done this a few times in the past and it really does it really is nice it really does work uh, mighty gun vault burst was the most recent one uh, when i took a trip to florida and even today i pop i pop that game in every once in a while and it just i'm reminded of florida so uh it's it's kind of a cool little uh thing so the trick though is to not play the game before you get on your vacation that's tough for me because steamworld dig 2 i'm really looking forward to Excellent. Yeah, yeah. There's something else I might be looking forward to, and this is the part of the show where we would uh, do some kind of cool transition music, uh, like let's sing Roxanne by the police. I don't know. Toast and so. Wait, is that Roxanne? Roxanne. The, there we go. Roxanne. Current events time. <laughs> Gosh, I'm like an angel. You don't have uh, to turn on the red light. <laughs> Man, I wish Google had an official colored light because then you could have uh, switched out the color. But that's that's this that's the story, Google. Um, so uh, Google, uh, the Google console is speculated, sort of, kind of quasi announced. Some people are excited about it. Some people don't care. Some people don't take it seriously. Whatever. But the idea that Google would be creating a console is kind of interesting to me. And we talked about it in the past. There wasn't really a whole lot of, 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 of information out there about it. Um, it's still not necessarily confirmed, although it's pretty, I mean, there's been insiders who have, who, have, who can confirm it, but it's not been officially confirmed by Google from my understanding. Um, but the reason I want to bring it up is because there was an article in Polygon um, that references some uh, reports from Kotaku. And they mentioned a few things that got me kind of rethinking about the console, and I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about it because I'm kind of more excited than I was in the past. I'm a, I'm a kind of a Google fanboy. I like Google. I'll 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 be interested in anything that they try they do or try to do. Um, and this was definitely something I'd, I was interested in, um, even among the rumors that it may be something like a streaming only platform, or uh, that you know it it may not necessarily it may be Android based and therefore not necessarily have the buy-in from a lot of different developers, um, whatever those those sort of think speculations were, I was still excited about it. But this Kotaku article kind of mentions a few things that, or I'm sorry, this Polygon article mentions a few things that get me a little bit more excited. So uh, they kind of bring to light the idea, uh, two big things, I think. One, Google has a ton of money, um, and they could potentially buy out huge studios um, to develop specifically for their consoles. Um, and 
they could do this as a way to sort of buy market share essentially they could buy really big studios and do this now i know a lot of people are saying well if 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 that's all it took microsoft could have done that they bought a few studios about five studios five acquisitions that they announced during e3 um this past couple months um and that's true and they have enough money they probably could have bought bigger studios but google has a lot of money um it a lot of money. And so they could potentially buy out some big studios and kind of hold them hostage almost um, and force them to develop on this console that could potentially be a failed console. I guess this could be the ultimate uh, test as to whether or not software sells uh, consoles or if it really is the console itself. So that's one thing that I just didn't really think about, but that makes a lot of sense. The other possibly bigger thing that I'm really kind of intrigued about is that Google has a very unique amount of user data. They have tons and tons and tons of user data. Their entire business model is built around user data, even more so than Facebook is really. Um, everything they do is really governed by uh, usage statistics, user user behavior, user data. Um, they're, the, Google specifically, now Google is, for those who don't know, um, the company Alphabet actually is sort of the parent company to Google now, and there's a lot of different entities. What we used to call Google is now many different businesses all under the Alphabet umbrella. Um, but Google as a search engine, um, they, their money is primarily made through AdWords. And AdWords are those little ads you see on the search engine results pages um, that you click on. And um, and they make a lot of money on those, but they make a lot of money because of the data that they use to serve those ads. They make them really relevant and they have a lot of super secret cool math that goes into making sure that the ads are relevant. And I think most users would, would see those ads and be like, yeah, they're relevant. I might click on them still, but they're relevant. Um, but they have a ton of data is, I guess, what I'm trying to get down to. And I think that data could be used in a really, really cool way to curate a, a sort of unique user experience. I don't know exactly what that'll look like. I don't know if it'll be all the way down to changing the actual uh, game itself and infusing the game with specifics about the user data, or if it'll be more of a sort of a recommendation engine to find the games that are really, you know, important. Um, as we talk later about the Nintendo Switch and all of the games coming to the Nintendo Switch platform, some sort of curation system, it could be very, very important. So maybe Google could potentially use their data, their their ability to, to uh, curate and, and provide suggestions. They could use that um, in a very positive way, possibly when when with the when the inevitable glut of more and more games comes down the pipeline. So, I don't know. I think it's really cool. I wanted to bring it up because I'm kind of a nerd. Um, I don't know if you have any kind of additional thoughts on it, um, but it's just such a cool. I'm so, I'm so on board with Google making a video game console. It's interesting that the article kind of goes into the hiccups with a streaming only console, right? With the state mm-hmm. of of broadband access and online infrastructure you know we think for for those of us who live in metropolitan areas you know we don't think of the u.s as having large areas where internet access is slow and metered and not you know not the unlimited behemoth that we might have in in our you know 200 to a gigabit connection uh thinking about where i grew up in basically rural wisconsin you know this would probably not be a great option i think there's a reason why there was a lot of pushback beyond just the collector market and the people who harp on ownership of physical media you know people like me um (laughs) (laughs) asshats like me i think there's also you know a a hurdle there to get complete streaming access for for gaming um so it'll be interesting to see i know one of the things that that was behind 
the whole Google Fiber, which I believe, if I remember correctly, you have as your internet provider, right? Yes, yes. So when Google wasn't actually trying to get into the internet provider business there. They were basically just trying to promote other companies to start building out faster speeds and, and more wider access to faster speeds because of their, their model being all dependent upon more and more users being online more and more of the time for their ad platform. So... Um, I can definitely see the the logic behind a Google console being streaming only because it's just another avenue for people to get to effectively put Google ads in front of eyeball time. Right. The more the more devices that they control and the more time that they spend with their product in front of your eyeballs, the more ads they can serve to you and the more uh, the more ad revenue they generate. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, you, you know. You mentioned the uh, the streaming, the 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 streaming deficiencies, and I think you're right that um, Google wants everyone to have internet that is capable of streaming. But I also think that Google, of all companies, if they can control the data packets that get sent, then they can send them in a way that I think uniquely Google could do, and that being a way that makes them. Uh, less bandwidth intensive, um, the, the way that they could possibly work with developers and share with developers streaming technology. I mean, Google, I think, and this may be, again, the fanboy in me speaking, and I'll be to- I'll totally admit to that, but I feel like Google has the ability to educate some developers on certain aspects when it comes to streaming. I'm sure they could, they could do quite a bit, or at least anyway, they could they could they could dedicate resources to figuring out those problems in a way that maybe developers aren't necessarily currently incentivized to do so. Um, but I, I would love to see whatever happens would would be great. Um, I just hope uh, I just hope that no one um, kills themselves over Google Google Game Console. Mm, um, I see what you yeah. did there. Yeah, death. Nobody likes death. Nobody likes death. I mean, unless you can have fun with it, That's which. True. Uh, is kind of what uh, what this uh, family did. Uh, moving on to the next story in our list here. Um, this is sort of our, a weird gaming story. I don't know. Maybe I'll try to pick out more of these as we do uh, searching, as we search for more topics for this podcast. But this is kind of a fun, weird story. So uh, a family of a teen uh, wh- who was shot dead. Um, that's not the funny part. Uh, who was shot dead poses <laughs> poses the teen in his at his wake with... Uh, video games, sunglasses, and his favorite snacks. Um, so very much an atypical viewer, uh, an atypical setup uh, for Awake. Um, that's weird enough, you know, that is weird enough, but it honestly got me thinking, uh, it's weird enough, you know, in this Western culture where traditionally Awake is someone, if, if it's going to be a, if you're going to view the body, it's going to be in a coffin. Uh, you're going to see probably just, you know, the top part of it. You're not going to see a three-dimensional, like, corpse sitting on a chair next to uh, Cookie Crunch and holding a, a, a video game controller. Uh, but what this kind of got me thinking about was just the idea of of how, I guess, weird it is that we have such, you know, rigid kind of restrictions around what is acceptable when it comes to Awake. Um, and the main question I think here being, Scott, if you were to um, be shot dead... What snacks would you want at your wake? Mm, well, th- this is this is an easy one. I would have gummy bears, and it's got to be the Haribo kind. Don't give me any generic crap. Ah, uh, the ones that give you di- diarrhea. Got it. N- well, not the sugar-free ones. We, mm. I want the real ones. Give me all. Okay. The, give me all the sugar and all the bad stuff. None of the diarrhea stuff. Mm. Then I would have Twizzlers. 
Not red vines. I don't need any of that crap. <laughs> My Twizzlers, man, through and through. And I would probably have uh, a glass of tequila mm. with with Seven Up and lime. You know, because mm. uh, that's my that's my go to. Um, wow. What about you? Did, what about you? Well, it's interesting. Uh, I did not realize how uh, stupid your opinions were until just now. I mean, mm. I had an idea. Yeah. I, I assumed. Yeah. But yeah. man, uh, gummy bears, gross. Oh, so good, dude. Twizzlers, gross. Yeah, so delicious. Oh, no, no, so, no. What, I, what are you <sighs> going to have on your table? Sardines? What, what no, is, what how is, is that? The, how is that the logical next step from Twizzlers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, sardines. I mean, if it's not going to be Twizzlers, it's not yeah. going to be gummy bears. The only other option is I, sardines. I mean, I, I've got to figure it'd be nasty if you don't like good things. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I should take a step back and say like um, straight up candy, like candy, candy doesn't really do it for me. So already I'm probably removed. I'm, I'm, I shouldn't even be part of this conversation, to be honest. So you've got um, like, a, you've got like a steak sitting there next to no, you. No, no. I'm more of like a, a savory kind of snack. Like I would, I love like, uh, like peanut butter pretzels. Like mm. that's, I'll eat, I'll eat those all day, every day. Um, uh, if I was going to go a cereal or something, it'd probably be like a cinnamon toast crunch or even mm. like a Reese's peanut butter puffs or something like that. Um, but yeah, candy itself just doesn't kind of do it for me. And I know looking at me, you'd be like, of course, candy does it for you, Caleb. Shut up. But it doesn't. I'm not a, not a big candy fan, but uh, that's what I would do. My mind is boggled right now. <laughs> but, I don't know what it is. I think if I, I think if I'm going to eat something, I want it to fill up my fat gut. And I just don't see that candy is going to do that for me. Mm, you know? I see. Maybe that's it. I've I seen see. some protein, I guess. I don't know. All right. Yeah, yeah. Well, what what game would you want to be on the monitor? It would probably have to be a role playing game of some kind. So maybe like a, um, a Chrono Trigger or perhaps uh, Oblivion. Um, mm. Maybe maybe something. Re- maybe Breath of the Wild. Um, yeah, not not something zombie like with like Resident Evil or something. That yeah, would that would. that would be pretty hilarious. <laughs> it would be appropriate, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I would love for your family to be like, "Nap, f you, Scott. We're gonna put Dance Dance Revolution in there." <laughs> Just <laughs> yep, uh. Dance Dance Revolution, a kale salad, and. Uh... <laughs> Well, at least you're dead already. Yeah, that's know? true. Oh <laughs> man, I wouldn't just wish I was. <laughs> uh, it, you know what? And I will say, I mean, joking semi aside, I guess, like there is something pretty great about a family that knows that knows their kid well enough, or knows their family member well enough to know, like, this is what he would want. Like, he would want to, like, just kind of, you know, be be posed, be displayed, yep. like ha- enjoying some of his favorite things. So that, that's kind of cool. I yeah, like it, it is a cool, it's a cool picture. They're, they're like in the middle of what looks to be the, like a church or, you know, some sort of setting like that. And they've got this, almost th- this set set up. It looks like mm-hmm. it would be, you know, a set for, for filming a TV show or something with a fake living room. And he's there in his, in his gaming chair, you know, kicked back watching the Celtics game and, and gaming. So, um, 
I agree. Not a bad it's, way to go. No, absolutely not. And the, this is sort of the thing that you you almost think like would be more likely in a case where there's like a terminal illness or something where there's a lot of prepping that went into it ahead of time mm-hmm. and a lot of preparedness that went into a, into it ahead of time as opposed to a tragedy like what happened here to to Mr. Matthews. Yeah. So I mean that just sort of just goes to to show that the family does did know him, you know, did know him so well that they're tapped in with uh, all of his passions. So, or one of his uncles just happened to be a Hollywood set designer and could do that very quickly. That could be too. That's that also could be possible. too. <laughs> Entirely possible. Who who can tell? Who can tell? Oh man. Um. So let me think of a good way to segue this. I can do this. Um. So I, I'm hoping that not a lot of people die. Uh, you know, and 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 do this kind of thing. I mean, I'm hoping that the quantity of deaths is not suitable enough to make this a common story. I mean, quantity of that magnitude is generally bad, I would say, mm-hmm. unless uh, you can respawn. Unless you can respawn. Unless you're 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 ruining my segue. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, I forgot what we were doing. <laughs> no, you're not really ruining my segue because it was already ruined. Uh, Switch, uh, indie games, more indie games coming to the Switch if Nintendo has its way. I feel like I've been talking forever, so maybe I'll pass this along to you because I know you love digital games, and I would love to hear your passion uh, for this particular story. You know, I do love me some digital games. (laughs) I I especially love the digital games that are saved onto these little physical things that you can put on (laughs) shelves. Um, No, Yeah, there's no more analog games. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I guess. Yeah, my, the games that I play on my, on my, abacus are few and far between these <laughs> days it just sort of sits there in the back of my closet and doesn't counting lot. yeah doesn't... counting returns one revenge of counting two that's a good one <laughs> three yeah. yeah it's man you know you really got to have some imagination there really it's it you got to be like a D player in order to get joy out of that I imagine all those beads are the ears of my victims. Ooh, ooh, yeah, yeah I like it. I like. That's it. my favorite Abacus game. Anyway, <laughs> so Nintendo has basically said that they they have a plan to release twenty to thirty games per week, and obviously most of these will be digitally digital releases. But they're really tapping in and embracing this um, this indie scene that they've they've become known for you know early on there was always jokes about how few games there were on the switch and the fact that it was always just you know for for several console generations now it's been the nintendo first party games and shovelware you know have been kind of the domain of nintendo for better or worse um but that's all changed now with the Switch and indie. De- the Nintendo has just embraced indie developers. Um, you know, you get games like Shovel Knight and Wonder Boy, Steam World Dig Two, which you obviously just mentioned earlier in the episode. A mm-hmm. um, lot of great indie indie devs. It's almost I see the we we talked a couple of episodes ago about the death of the Vita. Right, and the Vita has almost lived entirely for the last couple of years on indie games alone. Uh, Sony abandoned that long ago, and the Switch has sort of stepped in to to fill that role. And I'm I'm stoked about that, especially if if the games exist, then there's a a chance that they will come 
to physical fruition with folks like uh, limited run games and super rare games and the slew of, of publishers popping up all around the world who are doing these small batch um, physical releases. So, um, And I think the indie games too are... I tend to think of these games as more friendly to a physical form because by and large these are the types of games that they're more retro game like and they're more posterity friendly right they don't have the five gig day one patch in order to even be playable most of them are are pretty solid right from the get-go and um, you don't have to worry about servers being shut off and patches never being being available with with games like these for the most part yeah, absolutely. Um, and th- my question about it, though, is is I feel like Nintendo knows something I don't. And of course they do in many ways. But 20 to 30 games per week, even if they weren't indie games, seems like a lot of games. Um, and so I know it, it seems like the logic is, uh, hey, indie games are doing really well on the Switch. But there's also my gut reaction is the reason indie games are doing well on the Switch is because there's not historically there hasn't been a ton of indie games on there. There's been a good percentage of the Switch games are indie games, sure, but, you know, if you start piling on 20 to 30, isn't that essentially going to dilute the pool and, and sort of lead to some oversaturation, and therefore developers aren't going to see the profits that are being ex- talked about right now, and therefore they're going to start removing themselves from the Switch as a viable platform at some point? I don't know, but I, I just feel like there's... there's That just seems like a lot of games. Yeah, I think, I, I think what concerns me more than games... Uh, quality games getting lost in the shuffle would be a glut of awful indie mm-hmm. games, right? The I think this is a scenario with that much volume, you could almost see it being like a Atari 2600 1984 situation where you've got just a, very, a, a, a lack of quality control going on as as folks just make a rush to do a quick cash grab. Uh, so hopefully... Hopefully Nintendo is still um, serious about watching the quality and kind of doing the whole, you know, quote unquote, Nintendo seal of quality thing, right? Where, you know, you're not going to get a a game that's half, half created and, and and busted to hell. Yeah. Uh, Although the seal of quality thing was always to me kind of a laughable joke because it's less about the quality of the game and probably more about the quality of the components themselves, because it's really to get that seal, essentially someone just had to release, a company had to release a certain number of games on the system, like less than a certain number mm-hmm. of games on the system. And so so it's like, because there was a lot of crap that had the Nintendo seal of quality on it, so there I'm is. skeptical. There was, but by nature of them controlling the number of games that any one publisher, and there, there were ways that publishers skirted around that. Obviously you had, you know, like Konami had Ultra. They basically just spawned um, sister companies that were effectively the same company. But if you're a publisher and you can, you know, you can only publish 20 games a year or whatever it was, what was it like six games a year or four yeah. games a year? Or something? It wasn't many. It was, it was yeah. pretty low. So if you burn one of those opportunities on an awful game that doesn't sell well because it's garbage, um, you're really, you know, there's some significant opportunity costs there. Whereas yeah. if you actually, you know, 
polish the game and put it out you you might actually not be flushing that you know however many percent of your of your potential revenue down the toilet or when it comes to licensed games are there so because there's so few slots available uh licensees are willing to sell their license or willing to you know lend out their license and have a game made um paying more for it because there's not as many slots for them to be able to create these licensed games. So then you have companies and developers who are essentially making shitty licensed games and making probably a ton of money off of them because, again, there aren't many games being released in total. Um, that's also an op- an option, possibly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I think I think the Nintendo seal of quality and the, the, the way they operated was a necessary a necessary reaction to the times and and what the industry had just done um and i don't know that you could have that kind of scenario again happen i mean you look at look at steam and just the insane amount of of games that are released on steam every single day and you know steam doesn't really seem to be showing any signs of slowing down so um maybe it's maybe it's a a non-issue it's gathered steam would you say Ooh, i like it I like it. Ah. <laughs> uh, well, as long as Nintendo keeps making games for the fans, that'll be what's Ooh. most important. Ooh, uh, I like it. I like where I like where I like where your head <laughs> is at. Uh, because uh, things made for fans are generally good. Uh, the next story in our list here: Nathan Fillion plays Nathan Drake in a fan film that Nathan Fillion himself has done. Now, I'm not a huge I don't know much about Nathan Fillion, so maybe you do, and 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 you can take this kind of story over a little bit. But the general thing is that uh, there is a an Uncharted and Nathan Drake fan film about 15 minutes or so long uh, that was created by movie star Nathan Fillion, who stars as the titular Nathan Drake. Um, what did you think of it? I'm, I'm assuming you've watched it, right? Yeah, I watched it. It it came out just a couple of days ago as we record this, and it's about 15 minutes long, so it's it's not going to take up a huge amount of your time or anything. And um, this is something that that the un, uncharted online community has kind of been clamoring for for ever since it first came out. Um, I don't think it's any big leap to say that Nathan Drake was sort of patterned after a lot of the characters that Nathan Fillion has played throughout his career. Probably primarily um, his his character on the space western from Joss Whedon, Firefly. Um, And he's kind of that same cocky and a little bit arrogant kind of a rugged man's man type guy. And I think that Nathan Fillion himself has had, you know, has basically said, Hey, let's, let's do a, let's do an uncharted project for, for quite some time. And now Nathan Fillion, I think is approaching 50, I believe. Um, I think he's in his late forties. So he's, he's almost getting to the stage now where he's kind of aging out of that um, Nathan Drake age range and um so i think this was kind of a we have to do it now or we're not going to get to see it and so um i think nathan drake had a or i'm sorry nathan fillion kind of took a a front and center role in this fan film it's on on youtube you can go check it out and 
it's it's done pretty well. It, it pays good homage to the to the game itself. It's got a lot of scenes and camera work that makes it feel like you're actually in the game. They do kind of toward the end they do a a scene that really looks like you're playing a a third person over the shoulder shooter. Um, and I think IGN even did a, I think it was IGN anyway, did a, a, took a clip out of the, the short and overlaid the uncharted heads up display over top of it. And look, it looks like it could have been taken right out of one of the games while it was entertaining from someone who is a, an uncharted fan and a huge Nathan Fillion fan. uh, I was a little bit underwhelmed with it. Um, and I, I think more so just because it's it is a short, it is kind of a a teaser. It, it leaves you with a a this is what could be coming next kind of cliffhanger ending. Um, and I don't know really what I was expecting going in, but I I it didn't really satisfy me. I guess I would say, even though it's it's getting rave reviews, so I think I'm probably in the minority here. And and like I say, it's probably just the expectations that I had with with Nathan Fillion plus Uncharted. Yeah, I think you and I are both probably in the minority. Um, so for context, I am not. I, I don't know much about Nathan Fillion. Um, I've tried playing one of the Uncharted games, even though I own three of them, uh, or I guess digitally rented three of them, uh, and I. So, so and I, and I I tried playing the one game I didn't really hugely fall for it but the concept of it's cool enough um I you know so I was I was excited to watch this fan film I think uh, so across the most people seem to really like it as you mentioned um one of my favorite YouTube cha- like kind of just newsy gaming culture YouTube channels is called What Culture Gaming they're based out of the UK um and they just they did like a 15 minute uh, video just raving about this um and their sentiments the reason I bring them up is because they were they were probably the most hyperbolic in terms of their praise. There was really no criticism at all. But I think that's closer to the common uh, response than sort of the what I'm feeling, which is sort of eh, tepid, lukewarm, don't really care about it too much. Um, I feel like it's getting away with a lot because it's ta- tagged as a fan film. Yep. I mean, if, if this were released as a trailer, people would be just lampooning it, blasting it like crazy because it does definitely have a USA – uh, a USA uh, kind of movie of the week film look to it. Yeah. Um, you know where bullets. Uh, I think they actually mentioned this in um, in the uh, in the What Culture Gaming video, but they mentioned it as almost like a fun, quirky kind of thing where you know bullet holes don't leave blood. Um, it's just mm-hmm. one of those kind of things. Um, so I think I think people give it too much credit. Now I'm not familiar enough with the Uncharted series. Uh, the way that the guys at Uncult uh, at <laughs> Unculture at uh, at uh, uh, What Culture Gaming talked about it, um, you know, they said that there was a lot of like specific moves that came straight from the game, like not just the slow mo punch, jump punch thing, or the uh, third third person camera over the shoulder look, but also just some of the smaller moves, like uh, you know, kicking someone when they're holding your your shoe. Uh, or holding your foot, your leg, um, do like certain elbow moves and things like that almost came straight from the game. And they were actually able to pull exactly which game it came from and which fight scene it was. So they're, they're huge fans. Um, and I think all that was great and everything uh, and maybe satisfied the Uber fan. But for someone who is passively looking at it, I saw it as a very, very, very traditional uh, sort of action-y movie where people are trying to be funny. The, the character tropes to me were just way too tropey. They were way too um, 
uh, just, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not melodramatic, but they were essentially character types. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all they were very caricature-ish. Very much so. You know, chewing on the cigar, unlit cigar, like that doesn't make any sense. Having your Jeep parked, you know, 30 feet from this gun-covered house, like really, they're not going to notice that. Like weird things like that. You just have to, you have to suspend your disbelief, mm-hmm. and I understand that. But that's just, you know, it, that takes me out of those kind of movies. So I wouldn't watch this for another hour and a half, two hours. Like that just wouldn't be my thing. But for the sake of video games continuing to try and find some legitimacy in Hollywood, I absolutely hope something does happen with it. I won't be watching it, but I really hope something does happen with it and that people enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the fan film tagging that you mentioned, I think is, is even, I I guess maybe there's a reason that I don't let that, get away with um i don't give it leeway be just because it's tagged as a fan film i mean it when you have when you have people like legitimate hollywood actors who mm-hmm. have been in you know a a-list tv series and movies like avatar and um you know tombstone which is stephen lang the guy who plays sully the who is uh nathan drake's basically compatriot all the way through and kind of is his mentor type character he was the the guy that was chewing on the the cigar that you mentioned and i thought i thought he did a good job and i thought nathan fillion did a good job but all of the other characters were very very outline-ish you know there was no there's no real depth and i the, i guess there really can't be when you only have 15 minutes to develop but when i compare the uncharted short to something like mortal Kombat legacy which was a a web series that was um effectively thrown together by by a bunch of fans who wanted to pitch it and try to get signed on to do a follow-on mortal Kombat movie the mortal Kombat legacy series was done extremely well and has great production quality and that was also just a a series of shorts that i think it ended up going a couple of seasons on on netflix or on um youtube and you know it was i I think going into it that having watched that whole series that's kind of where my internal bar was set knowing that it was you know starring nathan drake and was actually a, a a decently legitimate um uh, did I say Nathan Drake? Nathan Fillion, knowing <laughs> that it was a a, a decently legitimate, uh, you know, Hollywood level production. Well, and the other other comparisons could be um, Ryan Reynolds and his Deadpool uh, mm-hmm. self made thing. Um, then you got uh, the opening scene to Sin City. Um, that was something that was created to appease. Uh, Frank, what's his name? Frank Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were things that were created. They were produced. They were, you know, specifically curated to make, uh, to show someone, hey, what this movie could be. And if you were to look at either of those two, uh, those two small things, the the opening to Sin City or the the scene that um, Ryan Reynolds created for Deadpool, like those truly are representative of the entire movie. Like I, mm-hmm. I saw, I you see each of those two shorts, and you're like, absolutely, I could watch two more hours of that. Like that's really cool. If this is supposed to represent what two more hours would look like, no thanks, I'll pass. You know, yep. but 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and it, it's sad because I, like I say, I love, uh, love Nathan Fillion. He's been in quite a few of my favorite you know, TV series over the years. Things like Buffy and Firefly, Two Guys, a Girl in a Pizza Place. He was in that? Yeah. He was what, like her boyfriend. Huh. Yeah, I think that was really like his first his first big role. And then after the in the, right after that he went into uh he was on some of the later seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and then having hooked up with Joss Whedon on that, then that's when he got the lead role in in Firefly. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, speaking of Ryan Reynolds, I guess, two guys a girl in a meets place. Yeah. And then the the other guy from that show, which I don't know what he's doing now. He was in a couple episodes of Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um and uh he should be doing more. I really liked him. I always liked that other guy, whatever his name was. I, you know, I'll let you take the next I'll let you uh because I own this podcast. Ooh. <laughs> I see how this is. Uh only because I could give two squirts about uh about uh Overwatch. So yeah, it's I, all yours. <laughs> well, I I don't care two scores about Overwatch either, but the fact that this is a, a this is a television deal, this that's where my interest in this lies. Um and just with the I'm I'm relatively enamored with the growth of esports as a genre of entertainment. Um yeah, I think it's it's interesting to see something that could be a buttress in the you know, a buttress to the actual traditional sports world in in live entertainment so um espn and disney which it, disney owns espn disney owns abc they are the largest television company in the united states and actually the largest television company probably in the world and they're about to get larger as they buy as it looks more and more like they're going to be the ones that end up buying most of 21st century fox um they just signed on an exclusive deal to be the exclusive it's an exclusive deal for them to be the exclusive broadcaster <laughs> lots of exclusivity going on here um the exclusive broadcaster of the overwatch league and so that's started as we record this it's just started within the last couple of weeks here as the overwatch league is into its first playoff series season um and that so this playoffs for overwatch league started july 11th and they conclude here at the end of the month and all of the matches are going to be broadcast live um on espn and disney xd and now while the terms of the deal with disney and espn hasn't been released they did announce that it was a multi-year contract that would basically bring hundreds of hours of live and highlight programming for overwatch league across ESPN, ESPN2, Disney XD, and even the ABC Broadcasts Network. The length of the deal or the financials of the deal haven't been released, but this has got to be a an absolutely huge win for Blizzard. The Overwatch League has already got a lot of support behind it by actual legitimate folks in technology, legitimate folks in the sports, the traditional sports world, and securing a, a television deal with the likes of ESPN and Disney is, um, you know, it's no small thing for esports in general. Hmm. Yeah. So do you anticipate this will be sort of a, and I know this is way too early to probably even speculate, but from, from the end user's perspective, 
do we have to look forward to something like, you know, weekly televised events that are primetime sort of televised events? Do we do you think we have sort of a annual specials kind of thing to look forward to? Or is it anything like that? Do you do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think my guess is that they're going to have weekly highlight shows that are that compress the the weekly action down into more bite-sized pieces almost like um you can almost think of it like you know, your episodic wrestling pro wrestling shows mm-hmm. where you've got the weekly the weekly recap of all of the action um but then during their playoffs time um and for as they head down to to their championship game i think you know this is in this indicates that all of that will be live primetime content which um you know, we talked a couple of episodes ago about uh, just the the growth in esports viewership and esports fandom, and how meteoric it is. It is the meteoric pace at with which it's growing, and something like this just has the um, the capability to hockey stick that growth trajectory even more, just because of the number of people that ESPN and Disney are are in front of um you know espn is kind of the barometer for the for the television industry as a whole um you know when when the cable television and and pay tv industry declines it's it's espn that takes the brunt of that and that's because almost all pay tv households have espn and it's a it it's a major player it's not like it's relegated to some you know third rate network that people have to have the package that has every single network that is under the sun, you know, all 700 networks or whatever to even be subscribed to. Hmm. Well, I, for one, uh, will not be looking forward to any of that. I I know, uh, I know you are professionally speaking and I, I'm happy for you. (laughs) You know, you know who we're not happy for? (laughs) Please be. Please let this tr- this tr- uh, this uh, transition be from Walt Disney to not a very stretch of a transition. Uh, Nazis. Yeah, Walt Disney I mean, to Nazis. Yeah, he 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 famously was not a fan of Jews. So this is actually could be the same exact story. Who knows? Really? I huh, I had no idea. You didn't know that. Oh well, I'm no, sorry to. No, uh, not a clue. Yeah, not a not a fan. Uh, huh. You know, not a fan. He, really. He, I don't want to say he envied Hitler for the amount of Jews Hitler was able to kill, but I bet Walt Disney would be like, "Good on you, Hitler." Wow. Um, Who yeah. Knew? So look look that up. Uh, every lots of people actually knew. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So look that up. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, I'll let you carry on with the transition. I was just no. Really I, I think I th- I think you've really nailed the transition <laughs> here. I I can't top that at all. Uh, <laughs> uh, what's What's crazy though is honestly like now that I'm I'm putting my conspiracy hat on. This, so the story that we're talking about, it's basically uh, neo-Nazis are using video games to recruit kids. Uh, this is a former member of the neo-Nazi uh, party says, which is there ever a former member of the neo-Nazis? I don't know. That seems like you're pretty committed if you're going to be a Nazi, but whatever. That's that's beyond the point. Um, but this uh, this reformed neo-Nazi, his name is Christian Piccolini, I guess is probably how you pronounce that. Um, he was on Reddit um, and he was explaining how neo-Nazis are targeting children via video games. And so the reason why that actually isn't so much of a stretch from the previous episode is if Disney is 
invested in broadcasting video games and uh, Disney has a history of anti-Semitism. This is, uh, wow. So uh, we're going to be broadcasting uh, neo-Nazism. I sound like that Alex Jones dude, sorry. Oh, what hate group would you pledge allegiance to play games? <laughs> is that... <laughs> Is that a pretty good impression? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah are are you going to be bringing a tinfoil hat to Chicago for me? Yeah, because yeah. I'm a man. <laughs> <laughs> and I talk like this and I eat meat. And I, and I punch minorities. I'm Alex Jones. Uh, so anyway, the story is essentially what I've already kind of said. Um, so yeah, this guy was on Reddit uh, talking through on Reddit um, about how um, neo-Nazis would essentially use uh, video games and use really multiplayer online video games and talking with kids and talking with children and things like that to promote um, neo-Nazism. Um, now, this being a Reddit thread and not really being vetted by any sort of uh, valid news source that I could find anyway, the Reddit thread was quite long. And to be frankly, to be frank, I didn't feel like reading all of it to check all the sources. Um, we do have to take it with a grain of salt, I think. But uh, just the idea that there is a targeted, uh, a targeted group uh, um, trying to, um, or, or possibly you know trying to to uh, talk to our kids online about you know being a neo-Nazi and things like that is a little. Is a little scary, I think. Um, you know, my hope is that as a parent, I'm able to uh, steer my kids away from hating everyone. But uh, I'm also, you know, I'm not going to claim to be the best parent in the world. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's a little scary, but it's just kind of something interesting I wanted to bring up and mention. Uh, mostly because I really want to know from you, Scott, like what hate group would you pledge allegiance to if it meant that was the only way you could play video games? Is there is there a group that hates everybody? Uh, I'll sign up for that one today. Yeah, like, there's got to be right. There's like, got to be like a people hating group. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I've been on the internet, and yeah, and it doesn't take long for for me to say, yeah, I'm 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 all in on the the hating everyone yeah. bandwagon. There's got to be like an um, anti comet thread group. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Yep. Huh. Anti anti social media, anti just social fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. Just anti-socialism. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> Isn't that capitalism? I oh, think? yeah. Yeah. I'll <laughs> sign up for that one, too. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so uh, you're, you're skirting the question. I mean, to me, you feel like a you feel like a, a I hate um, I'm going to say Eastern Europeans. Is Ooh. that a well, I don't know. Yeah. Like I, I've seen the movie Euro Trip and that oh, one was fun. Yeah. That one was fun. Okay, In the movie, no, they they buy they buy a hotel for a nickel. So I mean, I I could get I could be about that life. You know? I think you're in the clear. Yeah, I, I don't know that you hate Eastern Europeans. Okay, yeah. well, I'll keep thinking on it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Let me know what you come up with because I'm, I'm I'm curious. I'm curious. I'm a curious yeah. guy. I like to learn. Um, uh, corpses who are thrown overboard dirt in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle. Do you hate that group? Mm. The actual corpses themselves, not the people who did the throwing. Do you hate the dead bodies that are now drowned in the uh, in the Bermuda Triangle? Yeah, kind of, I guess, because I'm always I'm sort of intrigued by the Bermuda Triangle in general, and they get like an up up close, you know, an up close oh. experience with the Bermuda Triangle, and and maybe they get to fly, you know, the missing planes, mm-hmm. the Squadron 19 or whatever it was. So you're jealous of the dead. I think that puts you in the depressed group. Mm, yeah, that's okay. probably true. So you probably are, true. So I, it, it's it's the living and the dead then. So it really <laughs> truly is a, a holistic approach. Organic um, material mm-hmm, you just hate. Mm-hmm. Okay, got yeah. it. Yep. 
I, you will definitely not find me shopping in the organic material aisle. I am a, <laughs> you know, give me some, uh, I want the GMO stuff. I want the well, GMO. I want the HGH. I want the MSG. If it's got letters to define it, I'm all in. Twizzlers and gummy bears. We already accept, we already, you know. Yeah. Decided that. Okay. Hey. Cool. Well, that's good to know. The packaging on my Twizzlers say it's a fat-free treat, so it's health food. (laughs) Very true. I can't can't argue with packaging. I I never could. I've tried. Uh, I just get taken away in handcuffs because apparently they don't like me yelling at food at the grocery store. Oh, yeah? Well, if you don't like me yelling at food, stop putting all these boisterous claims on your packaging, okay? Those are easy for me to yell at. (laughs) Anyway, let's talk about sex. Uh, <laughs> baby let's talk about you and me let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be man let's we did grow up in about. the 90s 80s 90s what who was that do you know that was um, it wasn't salt and pepper right it was like no no one of those female r&b groups like uh destiny's child or was something it, before was it in vogue oh that's probably it yeah, because I'm a man. <laughs> uh, we're both we both hear the typing of the other. Yeah. Oh, it, it was, was Salt and Peppa. All you right. It. Yeah. Man. Wow. I knew me and Peppa had a connection. Well. So done. all those letters I wrote when she threatened to sue me. You know yeah. what, Peppa? You shouldn't have done that because That's we were right. meant to be together oh, forever. Nineteen ninety, Caleb. Nineteen ninety, Caleb. I bet man. had a serious it, crush on Peppa. You know what? Or, it wasn't Peppa. My big crush was Chili from TLC. Ooh. That was my big '90s like music crush, man. Uh, but uh, I have to look I mean, her up, see what she's yeah, doing yeah. these days. She wasn't the one that burned down Andre Risen's house, was she? No, that was Left Eye. Okay. Left Eye. You know what? I knew from the beginning Left Eye was a bit of a bit of a hair trigger. She she's trouble. trouble. She That's was. That's why smart... you gotta go with Chili. Yeah, Chill yeah. is in her name. She's cool. But... But you man, know? left eye was hot. I'm telling you that. Right they were now. all not ugly. So, you know, that, I that's, think. Uh, that's probably uh, true. You know, and I guess that is just sort of the makeup of the 90s female yep. group. They, yep. You know, they're not going to like. Frankly, that was the person. makeup of pretty much all of the groups of that era. You You're know, right. If you were like exactly. a backstreet yeah. boy or an in sync dude. Yeah. So for me to say that, like, I had a crush on Chili is not really like that much of a stretch you know it's like oh yeah of course everybody did um <laughs> yeah. wow way to way to go caleb anyway uh this was actually your story so i'm, I'm not going to take i'm not going to take credit for this i want you to awkwardly talk through the meat of this story yeah yeah well i mean last week or last episode we talked about how the world health organization is trying to get all up in our video game business and telling us that if we play video games, we got mental health issues. Checks out so far. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't argue with it. I can't mm-hmm. argue with it. But now it's just they're, they're coming for everything that's fun and sacred in our lives. Because now they're classifying compulsive sexual behavior as a mental health condition. I, I don't even Good know health. what I'm, what am I supposed to do? What, what, <laughs> what are people supposed to do with their time? You've, you've taken away all of the things that are fun at this point. <laughs> what's, what's great, though, is that the Venn diagram of those two, uh, those, two, uh, uh, those, two, those two mental issues probably don't overlap a whole lot. I mean, if I'm spending all of my time playing video games, I'm not really going to have time for sex. <laughs> so, you know, it's either one or the other. You can't really suffer for both. And if you suffer from both, well, 
hats off to you, sir. That's right. That, that's true. That's true. But that just what that tells me. I'm gonna I'm gonna grab your Alex Jones hat now, and I'm gonna put that on. I'm just gonna crinkle it on my head here. Make sure the black helicopters don't come and get me. <laughs> so the fact that this Venn diagram is two completely separate segments of people that just shows you that the World Health Organization is trying to control everybody. Mm. You, you can have that's your right. hat back now. You can have your hat back. I'm staying a man. I'm a man, <laughs> and I have sex, and I eat meat. Okay? I play video games. And I play video games. Oh, man. My, my, <laughs> my mic levels on my computer just basically cut at the very top. They clipped. <laughs> so uh, this is going to be a fun episode to edit. Uh, I'll just keep yelling. It's fun. Um, yeah, oh, well. and, and I'll just take all of these clips of, of Caleb Alex Jones <laughs> And that's going to be our pre-opening music clip. <laughs> I eat sugar-free gummy bears, and I have diarrhea in my man pants because I'm a man. <laughs> <laughs> and it's man diarrhea. <laughs> it's not that minority diarrhea. This is Alex Jones, and you're Alex listening Jones. to Masters of Unlocking. <laughs> Man, that would be quite a get, right? Yeah. Do, you, do, you, do you know him by chance? Let's I'll, send a letter. Let's see, yeah, let's see, see if I can get a hold of hold of my pal Alex. And... Oh man! All right. Well, <laughs> what do you say we transition into? Because I don't want to bum our listeners out with this whole no sex thing anymore. That's uh, true. Shadow of War is now microtransaction free. Yes, and I want to pass this one along to you too. Not only because it is your article that you chose, but because. Um, this has a little bit of, this article has something to do with Jason Schreier, who is the author of Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, uh, which is a book that I know you have recently-ish read or started to read. Yeah. And hopefully, like, I don't know, but. I did. Run with it. Yeah, my, my co-host guilted me into, with his mind ninjury, he guilted me into buying Jason Schreier's book, Blood, Sweat, I'm and a man. Pixels. Because he's a man. I'm a man. Also, Jason Schreier, a man. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. 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 We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so Jason Schreier had this this article on um, Kotaku, I think is where it was, where he talked about how Lord of the Rings Shadow of War or Middle Earth Shadow of War is has been patched by Warner Brothers to remove all microtransactions from the game. And now I, I played Shadow of War all the way through. I really enjoyed the first one. Um, the, the first game, Shadow of Mordor. And then so when Shadow of War came out, popped it in, played a ton of it, and really enjoyed it, but it is very heavily microtransaction-based. If you don't want... There are large swaths of the game that require just hours and hours and hours of grinding, or you can sign into the EA servers and pay extra money and just avoid it all. And that was... It didn't go so hot for, for <laughs> EA. I mean, their their sales of the game tanked. Now, EA doesn't actually release, or I'm sorry, Warner Brothers doesn't actually release sales data, but PC sales info from uh, you know vendors like Steam and, and so forth, you can kind of peg how a PC game is doing in the sales market. And based on that information, Jason Schreier says that Shadow of War only sold 25% as many copies as Shadow of Mordor did in its first, uh, you know, during its first couple of months. And that the after month number one of release, the sales just plummeted for, for Shadow of War. And that says all of the microtransaction stuff came out and the word of mouth about how laced it was with microtransactions. So, um, 
I guess, you know, what we can say is, Chuck one up for the good guys in the Battle of Us versus the microtransactions. <laughs> Wait, no, that means Alex Jones doesn't like microtransactions, and I don't want to agree with anything he says, so... <laughs> uh, man, take two. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta expand your horizons, Caleb J. No, uh-uh, nope. My horizons are <laughs> adequately narrow. Uh, but yeah, uh, so Shadow of War, I may, uh, well, I was going to say I may take a look at it, uh, and play it now, but that's not true. I'm not going to do that. I'm not a big, I'm not a big Lord of the Rings fan, so I don't know how much I would really care about the game. That's right. You do, you, speaking of hate groups, you hate a lot of really cool things. I do. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I do though. It's, it's, I, I feel like I'm, I'm an, un, I, I feel like I'm an, a true hipster in the sense that like. I'm not hating things because it's cool to hate things, but like I genuinely don't like a lot of things that people like. It's we. I'm, I'm an old man. That's really what it is. I'm not a hipster. I'm an old man. That's what it comes down to. You don't like fantasy. You don't like sci-fi. You don't like gummy bears. Hmm. I, I, I'm beginning to think that those are the three like, things. Yeah. We're like a yin and yang sort of situation here. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, but you do like uh, you do like strangling small animals, right? Well, who doesn't? Okay, good. So then, yeah, there's a little yeah. bit of yin and a little bit of yeah. yang in, in both yeah. of us. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So we're we're the yin and yang of sociopaths is what I'm yeah, what I'm finding out. Yeah, here. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. so. Yeah, that's yeah. fun. We're learning stuff. You know what else we can learn how to do? Uh, I, I I can guess, but you go we, ahead. We can learn how to mod our controllers for our cool. old retro systems. Wow. So, eight bit dough, and it is eight bit dough. Okay, good. The name 8-Bit Doe is like... Way of the 8-Bit. There it is. Oh. Like a key dough. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But then yep. 8-Bit Do almost makes more sense here because you're doing something. Oh, you are uh-huh. doing it. Yep. Doing it. Doing it and doing it and doing it well. But you can't right? do it too well or the WHO will come for you. <laughs> That's another 90s song, right? You keep going. I'm going to look yeah. up doing it well. <laughs> So, 8-Bit Doe, who it, many people know for their wireless controllers that they release that look like uh, Super Nintendo controllers or original Nintendo controllers. They have one that's for that's really shitty for that looks like an N64 controller. And they're designed for use primarily with um, retro pies, computers, and modern game consoles that, in, that you're playing retro games on. Uh, but they also sell... Um, dongles that you can basically wireless bluetooth receivers that you can use with your original hardware so you can use the wireless controllers on your nintendo on your super nintendo and so forth well they've taken it one step further now and are actually releasing mod kits for you to turn your original oem controllers for the nintendo the super nintendo the Sega Genesis, or even the Nintendo Classic or the SNES Classic, into a wired, a wireless Bluetooth controller, and there's no soldering required, no chassis modification required, no hacking. All you have to do is unscrew the the controller case, and you basically just pop out the the PCB motherboard that's in there, replace it with this new one from the the kit that they sell for twenty bucks screw the controller back together and you've effectively turned your original OEM controller into a wireless work of art. That's pretty cool. I'm stoked. So for years, literally probably the last eight years or so, I've been following this project that's a a, a fan project to create almost like an, uh, an ultimate kit that um, 
can modify the original controllers into wireless and rechargeable controllers. And the components and the amount of work that goes into it is astounding. So I've never actually gone and, and gone down the road to do it myself. But um, now the one drawback to this is that you are using basically a brand new uh, a brand new main PCB board inside of the, the OEM controller. So it'll take some testing to determine how well these work. But um, if, it, if it even maintains... You know, almost the same quality as the original controllers it's it's going to be fantastic i can't wait basically the the hole in the controller case where the where the cable comes out normally that gets replaced with uh a little plug-in where it's got a, a 3.5 millimeter headphone jack which is how you charge the battery inside it comes with a 3.5 millimeter headphone jack to usb cable uh converter and that's how you recharge your battery and then that's also got a little led light in it that uh, tells you the status for syncing and 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 battery life left and whatnot so um can't wait to give it a try i just ordered mine they just came out this past week so mine are on order and i will report back with how they work but nice. for for 20 bucks i figure even if it sucks it's worth it for just to have a little project to try out yeah, I think it sounds really cool. I have two kind of problems with it, uh, potential problems with it. One, you are sacrificing essentially an, an original component. I mean, you can keep, I guess, the old PCB board and you can just mm -hmm. replace it at the end. That's true. So you're not like breaking anything, but you are sacrificing the casing. Well, even the casing, you don't have to, there's really no, there's nothing that's not reversible in this mod. It's, I guess just separating them though, because once they're separated, if, uh, if, you know, if it gets resold somewhere or whatever, I mean, if you have the wireless version of the controller, finding a replacement PCB board to make it back into the original is going to require sacrificing a different original. So once they're separated, it's going to be harder to like sort of keep them together. So I don't think it's going to have a huge impact. I mean, the amount of available uh, original NES controllers, for example, NES controllers, it's probably low enough already. I mean, there's already, there's, you know, I guess I would imagine people probably using uh, third-party uh, third-party wired controllers as part of of this project anyway, like rather than actual true original controllers. Possibly, I don't know. Hmm. But I'm I'm a little worried about that. I just don't like taking apart old stuff because it's it's going to get separated in the wild and, and it's going to be difficult. But the other thing is the twenty dollars price tag actually seems to me like a little much. Um, I, I know there are, and I don't know how good they are, but I know there are. Uh, wireless NES or Bluetooth NES controllers out there that aren't too much different than the $20 themselves. Mm -hmm. So I know you're with this, you're able to use the true original controller and you're able to actually have the real right feel. Um, and a $20 Bluetooth controller off the rack probably doesn't feel the same way as an NES controller. But the way the technology is going, I would imagine that a really good wireless Bluetooth NES controller it being $20 out of the box probably isn't that far away. So I, I, I'm, it would be nice if it got a little cheaper. Um, but those are kind of my only two issues, I guess. Gotcha. But I could be wrong. You know, I love being proved wrong on these things. Well, I mean, when I was looking into the parts to basically build this myself, it would, it was probably going to end up costing me a hundred dollars a controller. So this is, Having it come in at twenty bucks, I'm I'm stoked with, and now now that was because not only was I going to have to have uh, 
the parts purchase, but the the modification was so complex that there's no way I could do it. So I would have to send it to you know somebody that is a, a modder by um, hobby or trade in order to get it done. So um, something where I can just pop it open and drop in a, a custom PCB. I'm I think twenty bucks is a a bargain price personally. Yeah. Yeah, definitely keep us updated on how that uh, how that works out. For yeah, sure. we'll do. We'll cool. do. Uh, I will. Speaking... Not, I will not cease and desist talking about. It. <laughs> Dang, that's a good one. Uh, mine was going to be way worse. Uh, yes, I hope that you don't cease and desist talking about it because there's already, I think, probably too many cease and desists out there. Um, and one of the uh, potentially latest, I don't know. It's 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 up for grabs, I guess, right now. So. Um, the, uh, the makers of Fallout, uh, New California, the, the, the small group of friends, I don't know if they're an official company, I don't think they are, but a group of people who are creating a mod, a basically using the Fallout 4 engine, um, for, uh, a game called Fallout New California is, uh, they've been working on this for a long, long time. And I think we've talked about it in past episodes, if I remember correctly. Um, but they, uh, they, they're back in the news, not only because the Fallout New California mod is set to release in October, I believe, October 23rd, I think at last, uh, at last news. Um, it's also, uh, been released that, uh, there's going to be an official board game, um, I think it's an expansion of the existing board game uh, to called Fallout, and it's also called New California. Uh, so this sort of, from my perspective, heightens the uh, probability that uh, Bethesda could press legal charges against the Fallout New California mod creators. Um, on our last episode, or the last time we talked about this, we were discussing that it would seem... It would seem weird if Bethesda didn't press any sort of legal issues on this because it's actually being released very close to uh, Fallout 76, and there definitely could be some market confusion in there when you're releasing this brand new Fallout Fallout mod. Um, There could be some issues there. So ultimately, the last time we talked about it, there really was no um, definitive statement on it. There was nothing, you know, we were just speculation that, hey, Bethesda should probably do something about this. They are, they're every right, right. They have all the right to be able to do that. Um, well, with the news of the of the board game expansion coming out called New California, the uh, creators of the mod have come out and said, you know what, we, we honestly wouldn't be surprised if Bethesda did uh, take some legal action on this. You know, they have every right to do that. Um, it, uh, you know, I, we wouldn't be surprised. So they handled it, I think, pretty well. However, what's really, really kind of cool, I think cool anyway, is a representative of Bethesda from Bethesda did comment on Fallout New California, the PC mod. And uh, their statement was, and I quote, the great thing about modding is that people can build mods about whatever they want. We don't foresee an issue with this team's work and we wish them well in their development. That is crazy to me. That's insane that they are so lax with it. Um, And I don't really know why they are. They haven't always been lax when it came to to mods and things like that, especially that they have the creation club, which is their way of selling uh, mods are selling, you know, uh, additions and scans and things like that. So they they have a monetary and uh, they have a monetary incentive to pull the plug on this mod. They have Fallout seventy six coming out now. They have the board game also called New California. Uh, the article that we're referencing um, also uh, includes uh, the, the the creators of the mod also mentioned in the article that um, if you search Fallout New California, that the mod project 
occupies like every result in the top 20 pages or something. I mean, it's insane. There's plenty of uh, real estate already there in the search engine search results. So Bethesda is going to have a bit of uh, an uphill battle to get Fallout's uh, New California board game expansion to get some search engine notoriety. Um, I don't know. I don't know what their thoughts are behind this. I don't know if they just think it's such a different thing, the board game versus the video game, that it's not really going to cause confusion. I don't know if they just want to do it from a PR standpoint, like they just, hey, you know what, as long as they're not selling it, we don't care. I honestly don't know, but it seems crazy that Bethesda wouldn't pull the plug, maybe just from a goodwill perspective, they they don't want to. I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I'm. My mind is boggled that this was Bethesda's reaction. Um, and it just doesn't seem to make much sense from the perspective of if this was going to be your stance, if you decided as a company, Hey, you know, we, we want to support these guys. We want, we like what they're doing. It's um, we don't see an issue or a threat to our IP. Uh, that's great. Um, but if that's going to be your, your stance and why would you not then decide to name your board game something different right <laughs> you know i mean if if every if every google search and every youtube search for fallout new california immediately returns a, a zillion hits uh about this project they they clearly knew about it you know i mean one of the first things you do when you're naming a, a new a new product or a new ip would be to check and make sure that it's not infringing on somebody else's ip and while while fallout new california isn't technically uh you know isn't ip of this this modding group they would still be Google searching it, I would imagine. I mean, clearly this project is on their, has been on their radar. Why wouldn't you name it? Why wouldn't you name your board game something different to just avoid it entirely? Um, maybe they, I can't believe that they would name a product that the same thing just to invite a, a chance for them to say, Hey, look, we're, we're cool with this and to give them an, an avenue <laughs> to do that. That seems like it would be a little bit, uh, Alex Jones conspiracy theory. ish. <laughs> Yeah, I think the only thing I can possibly think is that maybe the sales projections for the board game itself weren't really that big. Like maybe it was more of a niche thing and they knew it was a niche thing. So any uh, PR, any advertising helps. And the fact that this mod has gotten a lot of notoriety recently, maybe this is a weird way of Bethesda kind of riding the coattails of that. Maybe they'll reach out to the mod developers and sort of uh, make some sort of deal and say, hey, we won't press, we won't, you know, press legal action if you um, be sure to talk about the new California board game every time you release a press release about your mod. I, I don't know, something like that, so that there's something there. I mean, I would be really surprised if Bethesda wasn't at least in communication with them. That's that would be crazy, but yeah, um, I don't know. I have no interest in a Fallout board game. But then again, I guess I have no interest in a PC mod either, just because my computer sucks. So, <laughs> as much well, as I love Fallout, you know. Yeah, you never know. Maybe the maybe with I think you can play mods on on Xbox, and I think PS4 was working on it. So, um, you know, maybe maybe Fallout New California, the PC mod, will eventually come to console. Who knows? Maybe I think with when it comes to mods, I, I it's the same feeling I have with DLC. It's really weird. Yeah. No matter how much I love a, an IP. It just takes a lot for me to do DLC or mods. I'm not yep. against DLC. I just, you know, I'm, I'm in that world. I want to, I want the specifically curated world. And then I want to go play another game because I have plenty of them to play. Yep. 
I hear you. I'm in the same boat. I I'm I still haven't even played the expansions to Witcher. I haven't played the expansions to Horizon Zero, Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, <laughs> her eyes on Sarah's dong. Yeah. Her eyes on Sarah's dong. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speaking well, of Horizon Zero Dong. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So we I just got through talking about how much uh, I don't care about DLC. And here we have a new story about uh, the developers of Horizon Zero Dawn wanting to make more and more games, which sounds awesome to me. So one of these days I'll find a way to sort of uh, make that work in my own head. That's apparent juxtaposition, the apparent contradiction there. Um, so yeah, the story is Horizon Zero Dawn's developer, uh, Guerrilla Games, is expanding uh, considerably, actually. Uh, they're staying in their same uh, home office in Amsterdam, uh, but they are moving, they're essentially occupying the rest of the floors in like the first part of the of the building. So they're moving from one floor to about five floors. Um, and and I think it's I think it's a new building. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but um, or I think it's the same building. It might be an, it might be a new building. But anyway, the point being that they um, are aggressively expanding. They're essentially looking to almost double their team over the next uh, few years. Uh, the quote from uh, the managing director Herman Holst is that we we have worked on at Horizons at we have worked on a Horizon for six and a half years which is exceptional. We want to release games in the two or three year. We want to release games in two or three years um, rather than essentially, now I'm paraphrasing, but essentially rather than releasing games every six and a half years, they want to release games every two to three years. They need a bigger team to do that. So they're expanding considerably. I think uh, the article I believe says that they are expanding to an additional four, uh, it's 250 workers, or they currently have 250 and they want to expand to 400 employees um over the next couple of years and so that's super exciting to me um i would love to have another horizon zero dawn game Uh, it would be dumb if there wasn't another horizon zero dawn game out there it it made a lot of money but i also really kind of want to see what um guerrilla games has up their sleeve outside of horizon zero dawn i recently watched the no clip documentary uh about the development of the game which was really good i highly recommend everyone check it out um, and so I'm really excited that this is one of those developers that you just kind of similar to Bethesda in my mind that you sort of just watch how they act and interact and watch how they communicate. And you're like, man, I just, there, there's something about their values that I like and I'll, I'll play anything they release. And so I'm eagerly anticipating whatever's next. Yeah. I mean, uh, horizon zero dawn was really a, a risk for them, right? It was stepping out of what they had done before horizon guerrilla games was kind of the, generic run and gun shooter type identity and mm-hmm. having a game that uh really is a drama based game that is designed to kind of tug at your heartstrings a little bit was a a real testament to the range that they have and you know hopefully expansion is hard growth is hard to manage for companies a lot of companies fail because they grow so quickly um so hopefully that's not the case here with with uh, guerrilla games. I mean, going from 250 workers to 400 workers isn't, isn't crazy. You know, it's not woe crazy, crazy, but here's hoping that they can speed up the timelines and give us some more zero dawny goodness. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I would be very surprised if Sony didn't have dedicated resources to help coach growing studios through these kind of growing pains. I mean, they are a dedicated Sony studio. Um, it's in Sony's best interest for them to manage that expansion in, in, a, in a conscious, good way. So there's probably, you know, specialist people who kind of will coach them through that growth and everything. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I also learned this quick little fun fact before we move on to our uh, 
uh, well, I guess what we're calling the main event. Um, I did not know that uh, the that um, Death Stranding is using the Horizon Zero Dawn engine. Um, essentially, the people at uh, Guerrilla Games they built this engine. They they used this engine. They really liked it, and they just liked um, Hideo Kojima's games so much that they essentially just gave him the source code for the engine, or like as a gift. And Hideo Kojima liked it and was like, yeah, I'm going to use this. <laughs> so nice. it's kind of cool. Like, so there's a little bit of uh, Horizon Zero Dawn DNA in uh, in uh, in what we know of um, Death Stranding at this point. Who knows if it's transitioned to different engines? I don't know. But at the time that it was being created, that's what it was using. So, yeah, that's cool. It is cool. You know what else is cool? Chicago. Uh-huh. It is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Who's uh, going to Chicago? Uh, I am over here. Who that guy? That guy? Yep. No. Uh, guy? Back here. Back here. Oh, One more. W- over here. Nope. Oh, sorry. Over I'm here? short. Right here. Yep. Down here. Down here. Uh, yep. That's me. Up, I'm right here. Up here. Hi. Up here. Hey. Yeah. I'll hey. be there. Yeah. Uh, this will be fun. Uh, it is going to be a great time. We are descending, Caleb and I both, on Chicago next weekend. So that's the weekend of July 27th, and we are going for a little event that uh, we like to call. Cartridge Con. That's <laughs> Chicago and Cartridge Con all combined into one word. Yeah. It's, We're lazy. We could call it C3 because that's way easier to say and doesn't sound like you're sneezing. Cartridge <laughs> Con. Gazoonte. C3. Gazoonte. See? And C3 would also have the, you know, brand E3 kind of thing, which I like as well. But yeah. Well, yeah. It's a uh, gathering of a bunch of folks from the Cartridge Club. We've talked about the Cartridge Club on a lot of episodes. It is a community of content creators, gamers, and uh, just all around uh, nice folks. We I got to hang out with them when I went to Milwaukee back in April for the Midwest Gaming Classic. And uh, looking forward to catching up and seeing those folks again. Uh, it's going to be a blast. We're going to do some live podcast recording. And we're going to just go see the sites, do some game hunting, do some Chicago pizza eating, mm-hmm. uh, eat some Chicago dogs. Uh, we're just going to, you know, experience everything that is Chicago. I think a lot of the Cartridge Club members are, uh, it's going to be their first time in Chicago. I know both you and I have been to Chicago quite a bit as as native Midwesterners. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's going to be cool to introduce it to some some new folks. And... The timing could not possibly be better, Caleb, because our live recording of next episode of Masters of Unlocking at Chicago Cartridge Con is going to be our one year anniversary of this show. Wow. You're good at math. I would not have. I didn't even consider even thinking about that. That's awesome. That's crazy. Episode 26 every other week. That's 52 weeks, folks. And that's how many weeks are in a year. Oh, man. You're good at that math stuff. Well, you know, I work with Excel. I can't do math. <laughs> uh, the math. It's exciting. Man. Yeah, it's super exciting. Yeah. I've n- I have not met anybody from the Cartridge Club in person. Um, and I- I'm-, I'm really excited about it. I'm-, I'm super paranoid and worried about not being able to pair people's real life name with their with their on-screen monikers um so there's going to be a lot of me saying Who, who's that what what's that who's that uh, whispering probably to you or whoever i happen to be near um that's so that's going to be a little bit weird for me 
but I'm really looking forward to to just everything. I'm I'm primarily looking forward to just kind of hanging out. Like it's it's weird that we as a gaming culture have gotten to the point where in order to play video games with people in person, you have to make dedicated trips across the country to do so. Um, that's kind of weird. Uh, so I'm I'm really excited about like just doing that. You know, like. I don't have any specific agendas. I know there's a lot of people that are going to be going to, you know, I think they're going to go to a baseball game one night. They're going to go to some some museums. Uh, there's some members bringing their families, so they're making a family fun trip out of it, which makes total sense. From my perspective, I kind of want to just play games, eat food, um, and do a live recording of a podcast. And as long as I can do those three things, I will be a happy, happy camper. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we're going to do all three of those things. And we're probably going to drink some beer. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. I'm definitely gonna mm-hmm. do that. Yep. Ugh. yep. Oh yep. yeah. I'm I Little. just do, got through drinking beer right now. So mm, delicious. I'm practicing mm, beer. <laughs> so mm. yeah, it'll be super fun. I don't know. Like, there's probably nothing we can really give away on this podcast about like scheduling or, or w- when they can hear the episode. Because like, we just we genuinely I don't think know really much about what's gonna happen. We know that we're gonna be doing a live recording on. It's the Saturday, the 28th. Um, but in terms of like broadcasting that live, I don't think we even know if that's even going to be a possibility necessarily, but we'll definitely be recording it so that we can then put it on this uh, this podcast feed when it actually kind of happens or whatever. So we'll be playing some of it by ear, unless you are following those very convoluted, complex Twitter messages better than I am. But No, I, I <laughs> think that's, that, that's my read on it as well. I think we'll probably... Given the nature of how we're recording, I think we may have a little different layout to the episode next uh, next episode. We may have some guest appearances by some Cartridge Club members and fellow content creators. So keep your anticipation up and your expectations down, folks. Mm. <laughs> Just like we do every other week. Every other week. <laughs> well, anything else before we kind of call this an episode? You know, I... I'm really looking forward to seeing you. Aw. Yeah. I am looking forward to seeing me too. Hanging out with my digital compatriot. Aw. That's going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to just send an an iPad and Skype in. So I'm not even going to be there. I'm just going to like send it in the mail. Someone's going to hold it and that'll be me. So therefore it'll stay, it'll stay digital. Aww. Yeah, that's what yeah. I want to do. <laughs> you know exactly how I like to interact with people. <laughs> uh, I know what kind of vibe I give off. I'm, this is for the benefit of everyone, trust me. No, it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be a lot of fun seeing you in person, meeting you for the first time in person. That'll be crazy awesome. Um, so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. But, uh, yeah, um, anything else before uh, before I rattle off our where to finds us is where, where to finds us. Give the people what they want. Let's save what they want for the very end. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're not very good journalists. I mean, uh, frankly, <laughs> what they want is for us to just stop yapping. So, that's I mean, that's, that's just sort of an every other week kind of situation. Well, that does happen at the end. So still, we're, we're not we should have stopped yapping at the beginning. Um, but if for some reason you're the crazy kind of person who wants to continue hearing us yap or reading our yap words online, you can do so. Uh, there are plenty of places to find us. Scott can be found as VG Collectaholic on pretty much all social medias, Twitter at VG Collectaholic, Instagram at VG Collectaholic, which Instagram of all the places Scott exists, Instagram is definitely the one that I recommend the most. They're all great, but Instagram was the one that I recommend the most because he has a collection that should be the envy of every single 
uh, who calls themselves collector out there because it's incredible. Um, you can find him on facebook.com slash VGCollectaholic and his website, VGCollectaholic.com. You can find me, if you want to, all over the internet as Caleb J. Ross. Uh, all one word, the letter J, not the word. So Twitter at Caleb J. Ross. YouTube slash Caleb J. Ross. Instagram at Caleb J. Ross. My website is Caleb J. Ross. Uh, just search Caleb J. Ross. You'll find me. You can find us collectively uh, as represented by the podcast brand itself at mastersofunlocking.com or on Twitter at MOU podcast, Instagram at Masters of Unlocking, and Facebook at Masters of Unlocking forward slash or I'm sorry, <laughs> facebook.com forward slash masters of unlocking. Uh, and please subscribe if you're not already. If you found us via non subscribe methods, uh, it'd be great if you did subscribe to us so you can hear us more in the future. Uh, review us on any podcastery that you happen to find us on. Uh, iTunes would be great because that's one that's used by a lot of people. But uh, Google Play would be great. Uh, what else are we on? Stitcher, are we? I can't remember. Uh, any of those places, just search Masters of Unlocking Podcast, whatever comes up in Google, like that'd be cool. Review us there. We would appreciate that very much. Uh, those reviews go a long way to really help spread the word here, and we would love to infect more ear holes if we possibly mm-hmm. could. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you so much for listening and subscribe, and we will hear you next time with a live, hopefully, episode that went well. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's right. You know what we need? We need more cowbell. I can do that. More <laughs> cowbell. Alright, last time I checked, we didn't have a lot of songs featuring cowbell. (laughs) More cowbell.